0: Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. We would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at 9.15 or 10.45 a.m. at our new location at 5103 Pegasus Court. To learn more about what Sunday mornings at Collective look like, please head to mycollective.church and click on What to Expect. There are gonna be a lot of great things at Collective this summer as Maryland opens up, so stay tuned for upcoming events and announcements as we continue to try to make an impact in our city. Now here's Sunday's message. Can we talk about it? Another substitute teacher again. Now, if you're new to Collective and you haven't met Pastor Michael yet, you don't know any different, but if you've been with us for a while, maybe you're like... Is this dude ever coming back? Like, cool job, bro. Wish I could take a month off every summer, too. That would be nice. Now, hold up. First of all, no, I am not Pastor Michael. My hair is not perfectly slicked back, obviously. I am not going to tell you how depressed I am as an Orioles fan, and you will not hear me talking about how aggressive, aggressive I am this morning. And yes, you could say that the last month has been a lineup of substitute teachers, but it's been a really great last month. And substitute teachers can ball, y'all. Maybe even better than those Orioles Pastor Michael is a fan of. Now, if you don't know, Pastor Michael is on his annual teaching reprieve. Every summer we give him a break, and this is a great thing. I actually reached out to a friend who has the same job, lead pastor at a church in Ohio, and he just got his first teaching break in five years. And so I asked him what this break meant to him, and he gave me a bunch of really cool information. This is all direct quotes from my friend, Craig Flack, the pastor in Ohio. He says, being a pastor is living your life in front of other people. is good, but it can also be wearying. Breaks allow pastors to think, dream, pray, connect with their family. I feel like a completely new person. I feel rested with a ton of vision and gratitude for my people who gave me this break. Also, a mark of health is if a senior pastor can step away for a month and the church continues to be the church. Your pastor is important, but they shouldn't be the thing that holds it all together. No person short of Jesus should be. This allows others to step up into leadership, and we don't want to be like other churches. We don't want to be unhealthy. And so collective. Take it straight from another guy who has the exact same job. This break makes the other 11 months of the year so much better. So thank you for being a church that supports Pastor Michael and his family. And don't worry, next time we are together, he will be back two weeks from today. As was just mentioned, next week, August 15th, grocery store buyout. Please come join us, Weiss Market off of Prospect Boulevard. Do not come here. This is where Pastor Michael would say something aggressive, aggressive about you being the only person here next week. Come on location, come join us. We love our community. We are for Frederick and we wanna celebrate with you next week. But for today, let's jump in. Have you ever almost died? And I'm not talking about like, oh my goodness, I was so thirsty, I almost died, dramatics, about a story that's not dramatic. I'm talking about legitimately you think this is it, I've had a great life and this is the end. It's only happened a couple of times for me, and one of them, the first time it happened was at a place called Tenwick Hospital in Kenya. No, I wasn't there to receive treatment. There is a very large river and waterfall, as you will see, and we were hoping to be able to go swimming, but it was a little intimidating. And so instead of swimming, we just spent our time skipping rocks and talking and hanging out. And then as we were getting ready to pack up and leave, my friend Anna looks at me and she says, hey, CT, when's the next time you're going to be in a river in Africa? Good point. Let's go. Let's do this. Do it for the story, baby. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to jump in. And I got in up to my ankle and I could feel the power of the water trying to take me away. And so I I very carefully worked in up to my calf, my knees, up to my waist. And I was far enough away from the bank that nobody could grab me if something bad happened. And I start to look around, and I notice this huge wall of water behind me, the ripples happening around my body. And I start to get a little scared. Like, cool, had my moment, story, fun, I'm ready to be done. And so I pick up my right foot to step back to the shore. And as soon as I pick up that foot, that foot is swept away and gone. And because I cannot do the splits, my left foot follows behind. And in the blink of an eye, bam, down the river. And I don't know it in that moment. But all of my friends and our team leader jump up and race down the riverbank trying to keep up with me. You see, they knew what I didn't know is there was another waterfall a few hundred yards down the river that I was very quickly about to go over. And our team leader told me later, he said, CT, I was trying to figure out how I was going to have to call your parents and tell them I let you die everybody thought this was it. I was bobbing down the river and my friends who used to be lifeguards were like, well, you should have been like this. And I was like, well, I was bobbing down the river. I wasn't thinking about what to do. And so head in, fully submerged, swallowing African river water. I look ahead of me and I see a giant branch from a tree has fallen into the river. And so the only thing I can think to do is, okay, when the river pushes me close, I'm going to try to like jump off the bottom and bear hug this thing and just hold on for dear life. And so, the river pushes me, and as I get close to this log jam, it slows me down enough to where I dig in with all fours, and I'm stuck, because I'm not moving again. I know what happened the first time, and then out of nowhere, I still have no clue how he caught up to me or where he came from. Our bus driver from the trip reaches in with one hand, grabs me on the shoulder, and pulls me out and puts me on the riverbank. If you haven't had an experience like that yourself, surely you've seen news footage of floods where somebody's on top of their car or they're on top of their house waiting for the helicopter or the boat to come and rescue them. And as I can tell you, it's a terrifying experience. And usually when this flooding happens, it's only for a few hours or maybe a couple of days of rain that produces all this flooding. Well, what would happen if, what would happen if that rain continued for 40 days and 40 nights? I mean, think about 40 days. That's a long period of time. 40 days is when Starbucks should actually be introducing their pumpkin spice, pumpkin spice crape, a latte, excuse me. <laughs> Listen, you either think coffee is gross or you're wrong, but it's just the principle. All right, pumpkin spice latte and ug boots... It's 90 degrees outside, all right? Just slow your roll a little bit. If you love pumpkin spice lattes, that's for you. Go crazy. I digress. But 40 days and nights of rain would produce flooding that's really honestly hard for us to imagine what that would look like worldwide. And maybe you're starting to connect the dots. You can see where I'm going with this. Our story for today is Noah and the ark. We'll get into a lot of the details in just a minute. But what is really interesting, if you Google Noah's Ark Kids Room Decorations, you get 10 million results. And somehow, this has become one of the most well-known Bible stories for kids. It's in every kid's Bible. If you are of the Christian faith, you probably pass the story on to your kids. But it's largely based on death and destruction, And we have this notion that this is just a kid's story, and we adults can kind of just kind of glance over it, but that's actually not true because there's a lot of it that is relevant for our lives today. So, we're going to take a deep dive into the story of Noah. Noah is a 10th generation descendant of Adam, the very first man to ever walk the earth. And Noah is actually one of the oldest guys who ever lived. In fact, Noah's grandpa is the oldest guy to ever live at 969 years old. Noah died when he was 950 years old. Noah's name means comfort. And when his dad named him, that's actually what he said at Noah's birth. He said, Noah will comfort us. And then a few years later Noah became a dad himself at the ripe young age of 500 years old. There's no such thing as America back then because we weren't even a country that long ago. And Noah and his sons the Bible tells us are some of the last people to live that long because historically speaking Genesis 6 tells us after this happened God numbered our days at 120 years. But Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And if you know the story, Noah and his wife, his boys and their wives, all get in this boat called the ark that saves them from the flood that is coming over the entire world. And what we may not know is, why did God choose Noah? Why did God choose Noah over other people who are living at this time? Genesis 6, 5 through 8 tells us that the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on earth. He saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth, and it broke his heart. And he said, I will wipe this human race I've created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing. All the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, even the birds of the air. I'm sorry I ever made them. But Noah found favor with the Lord. So we were consumed. This wasn't a sometimes thing. This was an all-encompassing, all-the-time thing. Sin had entered the world 10 generations ago, and every generation had gotten progressively worse, and it broke God's heart. And it wasn't just our evil choices. It was our violence as well. Genesis 6, 11, and 12 tell us, God observed the earth had become corrupt it was filled with violence. God observed this corruption all over the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. This brings us to our first application point of the day. God is not the source of your pain. Sin is. Now I told you that Noah's name means comfort, but Genesis 5.29 tells us, Lamech, Noah's dad, when Lamech named his son Noah, he said... May he bring relief from our work, the painful labor of farming this ground the Lord has cursed. And so right away from the time he was born, Noah was supposed to bring relief and comfort. And this work and painful toil that they're talking about is the punishment that God gave Adam and Eve, the first people who ever lived as a result of their sin. Noah's dad was hopeful that Noah would be the guy who brought relief from sin. And looking back as we have the perspective to be able to do, we know that no man is able to do that, only God can, but give his dad credit for trying. And so from the very beginning of time, our destruction, our painful toll is all result of our sin. And it is this sin that broke God's heart and it is this reason that God decided to start over. Now sometimes practically speaking today we bring destruction upon ourselves with the choices that we make. Sometimes other people choose to engage in sinful behavior or acts and their sin causes us to experience pain, but that pain is not the source, God is not the source of that pain, it is our sin. So when I'm short with my wife or or if I lash out at my kids in anger, God's not causing me to do that. If I choose, if we choose negative habits that lead to destruction, God is not forcing that upon us. And if we have a messed up view of family life and even find it hard to think about God as our heavenly father because of what our family here looks like, that's not a result of God. That is a result of sin. So God destroyed the wickedness of the earth through a flood, but God also told Noah that this would never happen again. Genesis 9 tells us, God is speaking, Yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. Never again will floodwaters kill all the living creatures, and never again will a flood destroy the earth. So instead of wiping us from the face of the earth in the future, instead, out of his love for us, God sent his son to die the death that we deserve. And this word covenant that we just read, actually the last time I spoke, I talked about this idea of a covenant and what it is. It's not a promise. It's not a contract. It is a relational bond that you enter into and God established this covenant with us through his son Jesus. I saw a little bit of Bible theology, just a big word for some of the foundations of Christian beliefs. But even the story of Noah foreshadows the coming of Jesus and reinforces this idea that God is not the source of our pain, but sin. So let's jump back into the story that maybe some of us know. God told Noah to build an ark. He had all kinds of measurements. And one of the things that the story points out is this idea of a cubit. And a cubit is the length from a man's elbow to the tip of his middle finger. And obviously this varies from man to man, but it's usually somewhere around 18 to 21 inches. And this cubit was the measurement that Noah used to build the ark. And there's a a lot of measurements and dimensions of how high and how big. And we don't want to get lost in those details. It was really big. It was bigger than a football field. Now let me just stop for a second and address something that maybe you've thought about in the past or maybe you're thinking of right now. Did God choose Noah because he was not expert at building boats? No. And so this is where some people in history are like, okay, let me get this straight. So there's this dude, probably never built a raft before, and somehow God tells him what to do, and he builds something the size of M&T Bank Stadium, home of our Baltimore Ravens, if you are not local. Other people argue about his lack of knowledge of things like geometry and physics, naval architecture. And still other people will say, "Well surely, if this thing took a few decades to finish, as a lot of experts think, one of the original would have rotted out and need to be replaced by the time the flood actually started. And then let's talk about the animals for a minute. Did they just appear one day? What do he give them to eat? What do he give them to drink? What do he do with all the poop? I can't tell you all of those answers. But I can tell you if you're here and you're skeptical about some of the details of the story, that's okay. What I would personally tell you is I believe that God is a God of miracles. And if a few small ones happened along the way to make this story play out, as the Bible says, I trust that because of my faith in God. And I also trust that what I read in the Bible is accurate. And true. Now, I can tell you that Genesis chapter 4, nine generations before Noah, mentions the building of cities and specifically calls out working with tools of bronze and iron. So there were some technological capabilities that he had to build the ark. But one thing that I really want to focus on is how long Noah and his family were stuck together in this ark. And it isn't hard to imagine how long or how hard it is to be stuck with your family in a tight space, your house, for way too long. We get what it feels like to be stuck in the ark. And perhaps no time other than right now do we understand what that feels like. Some of us have just gotten our freedom back, freedom to drive and go places and eat, the beach, hug family members we haven't seen in a few years, and it feels great. But we know what it feels like to be cooped up. The kids start picking at each other a lot. Maybe you and your spouse, if you're married, you start to cohabitate, but you don't actually have a real relationship. If you're single and you live alone, the silence and the loneliness can be deafening. But beyond that, I mean, imagine if you had to live in a house with your in-laws for a year straight. Some of you may be thinking, oh, we've been punished enough. Thanks. But beyond that, if you had to live with your own parents again for an entire year, what would that be like? For Shem, Ham, and Japheth, this was their reality. They got to live with their parents for a year. And you say, wait a minute, hold up. It only rained for 40 days and 40 nights, which is true. But thanks to the Bible, we have a bunch of details about how long they were actually on the ark. Noah got on the ark when he was 600 years old. Check out Genesis 7, 11 through 13 together. When Noah was 600 years old on the 17th day of the second month, think February 17th, All the underground waters erupted from the earth, and the rain fell in mighty torrents from the sky, and the rain continued to fall for 40 days, 40 nights. That very day, Noah had gone into the boat with his wife and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives. 600 years, two months, and 17 days old when he got on the ark. And later in Genesis, it tells us that the flooding continued for 40 days and 40 nights and everything on earth died and the floods reached 15 cubits, these guys, deeper than the highest mountaintops. And then it tells us that the the flood started to recede and the winds came and Noah sent out doves and other birds to check and see if there was vegetation and eventually the birds stopped coming back and now in Genesis 8, 13, and 14, we start to figure out When can the family get off the ark? Noah was now 601 years old. On the first day of the new year, ten and a half months after the flood began, the floodwaters had almost dried up from the earth, and Noah lifted back the covering of the boat and saw that the surface of the ground was drying, and two more months went by, and at last the earth was dry. 600 years, two months, 17 days when he went in. 601 years, two months, 27 days when he came out. 375 days stuck in the ark with his family with nowhere to escape. Maybe your house doesn't seem that bad anymore. But being faithful to God got Noah and his family stuck on a place they probably didn't want to be for way longer than they ever cared to be there. God doesn't have your sense of time. That's our second application point today. God doesn't have your sense of time. And maybe Noah was saying, God, I'm trying to serve you and I'm trying to live my life the right way, but I'm stuck. Like literally, I'm stuck. And Hopefully, this is where we start to see that this isn't just the opening pages of the Bible and some story, but we can see how this mirrors our life a little bit. Oh, great. Another trip back to the hospital for a setback that I didn't need or want. God, I'm trying to come back to church, and I'm trying to come back to faith, but my wife, my husband, and I, we've been burned in the past, and we got baggage, but we're trying to jump back in. We just feel stuck. And God, I'm living for you, but I'm watching my adult child make mistakes, make bad choices, and I can see that it's ruining their life, and I feel stuck. Or maybe it's school starting back up, and I really do want to live for you like I have the desire, but it can be a little bit scary sometimes, and I don't want to get made fun of at my middle school, my high school. I'm stuck. I may not know your story, but I know what it feels like to wait for God to give me relief, to answer my prayers, come to my rescue. And what I've learned is sometimes I have to wait a lot longer than I ever wanted to, but that doesn't mean that God has stopped caring about me. It means God doesn't have our sense of time. Now on to the third application point today. You got to get off the ark. We know they landed out Mount Ararat, which is somewhere in present-day Turkey. We knew they were cooped up longer than they wanted to be. But we also know God saved Noah and his family to preserve mankind. And even though it was a very long year, they were in the middle of God's protection. But God sent them right back out. And the world may not have been corrupt yet, but God knew that it was going to be for Noah and his descendants. And after experiencing God's presence and God's protection, God sent him out. And notice, this is not a boat, it's an ark. We commonly refer to this as a boat, but there are no references to sails, rudders, oars when Noah constructed this ark. And we like to picture this as a boat, but in the original language of the Bible, a language called Greek, the the language used to to describe the term ark is also used in another place in the book of Exodus to describe a container used to carry some very important artifacts called the Ten Commandments. And this container was probably a very large rectangle. So was this ark made to go into the water? Yes, but its primary purpose was to float and not to sail. And this distinction actually is very big because from the very beginning, God is in control. God knew that this was a temporary home and God knew that the waters would go back down. And at some point the door would open and the family would have to get off the ark. Does God protect us? Yeah, absolutely God protects us. But does he put us in a protective bubble so that nothing bad ever happens to us? No. So read your Bible, pray, go to one of our small group collectives that's kicking kicking off next month. Be here, soak it up, and enjoy. We want you to be here, but you got to get off the ark. That's your job tomorrow with the people in your life that drive you crazy your home life, whatever that looks like, when you walk in the front door in about 30 minutes. You got to get off the ark and show people the love of Jesus. And let me end and let me wrap up by saying that every summer I compile a stack of books as big as a cubit. See what I did there? I love to read, to be entertained, to challenge, to grow. I love adventures, and so I have a huge stack of books every summer, and right now I'm reading a book that's teaching me how to become a better parent for my kids. The Power of Showing Up. And there's a quote from that book that I wanna read to you. The authors are talking about our job as parents to provide safety for our kids. It says, parents have two primary safety jobs. The first is to protect them from harm And the second is to avoid becoming the source of fear. Now, we know the first part of that quote, that God protects us from harm. That's obvious. We've seen that today. But we also can learn that God did not choose to become our source of fear, but instead chose love to send his son to die a death in our place so that the world would never become flooded again. This is the power of a God who shows up for us. This is the power of a God who makes me want to get off the ark. Not that I have to, but I want to get off the ark, to go engage with my neighbors and to go out into the community and try to introduce people to Jesus. So collective, as we end today, let's get off the ark. Pray with me. God, we love you. And we thank you for the story of Noah. We think that, that it's real and it applies to our life and it teaches us principles that we can put into practice right now. God, I pray that you give us the courage to get off of our own personal ark. We've been in your presence and we've been in your protection and it's great and it feels good and there's safety in that. Give us the courage to step out into the world and live for you and introduce the people around us to you. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.